cuts down on Sundays. Now, I don't know how many of you remember this episode, but it was back in, well, the third year that the Andy Griffith show was out. And then Mr. Tucker, he was ticked. He drove in on a Saturday night, and his car breaks down. And so he comes waltzing into Mayberry, hoping, well, to get his car fixed. (laughs) Yes, conversation after conversation with Goober. All right. Doesn't really go well. And he's so upset. What is wrong? This, This town, can't they get something fixed? What is the problem? And the episode to us is pretty funny. It wasn't too long ago when our culture was shut down on a Sunday. Gas stations, grocery stores, restaurants. Some didn't like it, but that's really the way that it was. Today, Sundays are pretty much the same as any other day. And in some ways, busier than other days. Because so many of us do work long hours. And so Sunday is almost the only day that we get to sleep in. Or Sunday isn't just totally, well, booked out. And you've got so many things to do at home. So Sunday becomes busy. People have filled their calendars with mostly good things. But they just don't have any margin. Very little margin. Our families have become more kid-centric. Which is a good thing. And we seem to be available 24-7. Let me give you an example. Sports, recitals, academics. Always trying to get a little bit ahead. Always trying to make sure that, well, you get that extra training, the extra at-bats, and you just fill in the blanks. Parents drop all their schedules in order to make sure Junior does well in whatever he wants. 90% of Americans have their phones with them 24-7. By their beds, wherever they are. They're connected 24-7. You can get emails. You can conduct business. Again, you can work from home. You can work on the beach at Cancun. Social media consumes us as we tell stories and read about others. So what does the Bible have to say about our busy culture and the pace of our lives? I've already lost some of you, I know. I have. But I'm asking you this. This is one opportunity that I have to share what God's been working on me about. So many times we have series and so on, but but today is an in-between time. It's a time that I get to share what God is teaching me. How I'm growing in certain areas. My guess is, though, is that every one of you kind of have full calendars too. And maybe even struggle in this area. Some of you are a little worried about what I'm going to say. Don't be worried. 
Because really what I want to do, I think, is be able to give you some unbelievable good news. But we'll probably have to wait near the end for that. So what does the Bible have to say? Well, if we go back in so many of our scriptures, Moses lived and received the law 3,500 years ago. And Jesus walked on this planet a little bit 2,000 years ago. And folks, if we're honest, culture was really different, all right? There was no plumbing, no electricity, no books, no cars. No internet, no antibiotics, or Velcro. The good thing was, everything you bought, though, was organic. Didn't have to worry. Didn't have to go to special stores. Didn't have to do any of those things. All right? But let's look and see what the Bible has to say. Well, about that culture and even ours. I've used a plethora of resources. Uh, Pastor Jeff Mannion, Ruth Haley Barton, and recently a book called 24-6 by Dr. Sleeth, and 40 Questions About Christians and the Biblical Law by Thomas Schrainer. Now, I'm sure everyone will be going, whoa, Rick, those are good bedtime readings, you know. But it scratched an itch of mine. What is it that you're saying, God? Is the Sabbath just for... Well, in fact, before we go into it, let's pray. Lord, I have a tendency to think that some of us might have some walls built up around this. That we like to be in charge of our calendars and we like to be, well, in charge. And we're asking today, Lord, that you would teach us that we would be able to come to you humbly, and that we might be able to glean your word to us. Lord, every one of our lives are different, every one of our jobs, every one of our expectations. And God, we sometimes have a tendency to not go to hard areas. So I pray today that in spite of our backgrounds, in spite of our schedules, in spite of our importance, in spite of how much we're worth, that we would be able to open your word and that your spirit would be able to guide us and direct us and, and give us wings. In Jesus' name, amen. The church seems to be both confused and conflicted when I just even use the word the Sabbath. So what is the Sabbath? And is the Sabbath an expectation for Christians today? We'll start off with, what is the Sabbath? To a Christian, it normally means Sunday, or the Lord's Day, or even more specifically, your church service. Earlier this year, we had a members meeting. And at our members meeting, I had a survey taken. And what was very interesting is that I just really wanted, it was an anonymous survey, but there are people that really, well, call this place their home. And one of the questions on it was, I enjoy a weekly Sabbath. You won't believe how many people check that box. 
Now, the only problem was is that I hang out with you guys. All right? And so many said, yes, I have a weekly Sabbath. What you were interpreting, what just the majority of our culture interprets is, hey, you know what? I go to church every Sunday or most Sundays. I'm not so sure we understand what a weekly Sabbath really is. But let's focus, first of all, not on what we think, but what the Hebrews thought a whole long time ago. It was, well, to a Hebrew, Sabbath started Friday at sundown and began with a meal and ended Saturday at sundown and ended with a meal. Let's hear what God literally has to say. If you would, turn your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 20. And although the Old Testament or Older Testament is chock full of things about the Sabbath, I'm just going to pick a few of these verses and you can follow along with me. Um, You can put these down in your notes, but the first passage we're going to look at is a fat passage that so many of you are familiar with. It's called the Ten Commandments. And Moses was given these commands by God up on Mount Sinai. And there's ten of them. And I'm not going to read all ten, but I'm going to start reading at verse 8. Remember to observe... <laughs> observe. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, or any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Just go a few chapters to your right to chapter 31, starting in verse 12. The Lord then gave these instructions to Moses. Tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day. For the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It is given so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. And then a few chapters again to the right, chapter 35, verses 1 through 3. Then Moses called together the whole community of Israel and told them, These are the instructions the Lord has commanded you to follow. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on that day must be put to death. (laughs) You must not even light a fire in any of your homes on the Sabbath. Let me summarize these texts, if I could. First of all, God is just saying this to the Jews, to the Hebrews at this moment. Hey, I want you to set a day aside, one day out of the week. I want you to work six, and I want you to set one day aside so that you can know me 
and that you might understand who I am just a little bit better. It was a day where you rested from ordinary work. I'll put that in there. And if you didn't, it was punishable by death. Okay, that is my attention. It is a forever Jewish covenant sign based, well, or basically showing that you were God's people. It was God's wedding ring, all right, if we could say that. Something that shows that you belong to God. So it was a big deal. You know, if someone takes off their ring, it's usually not a good thing. I'm just letting you know, all right? But the way God saw this is, hey, I love you. You're my people. And this is how I know you're my people is because you're going to keep the Sabbath. Now, what's really interesting, and, and I'd like you to turn just a little bit further, I'd love you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now, what happens during the time of Exodus, which so many of you know, we just went through this story, God's story, but then the children of Israel really didn't obey God very well. They didn't listen to God, and so God says, okay, I'm going to have you just kind of wander in the desert for 40 years. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to care for you in an unbelievable way. I'm going to feed you every day, but... but eventually you're going to listen to me and you're going to go to a land I promised you. A land filled with milk and honey. A land where it is just, it will blow you away. Well, Deuteronomy was written at the end of all of Israel's journeys in the desert. It was Moses' last sermon. In fact, he gives Deuteronomy and he basically dies. Okay? Well, not instantly, but, but pretty close to that, all right? So it's the last words he's given. So in Deuteronomy 5, what's so interesting is that he repeats all the Ten Commandments again. Even though, you know, it's not like they're slow or, or they're, you know, a little bit behind or they forgot this, but, but Moses says, hey, this is really important and I just want you to know. Now what's interesting in Deuteronomy Chapter 5, Moses adds a verse to the Sabbath command. And it's found in verse 15, all right? So he gives all the exact same instructions, but he adds this. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. But the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath. Yes, it is a time to rest. It is time to reflect. But now he adds one more little detail. I want you to remember how wonderful and faithful that I am. On this Sabbath day, I want you to tell stories about me. I want you to... Okay, well, Rick, you say that kind of sounds like the same thing. But I think he added this, personally. Because it will be the first time that they literally will have a day when they actually have the freedom to rest. When you're a slave, you don't go to your master. Oh, by the way... Excuse me, I'd like one day off. All right, is that okay with you? No. 
So they just left that. They left wandering in the wilderness. And yes, there's a big group. And yes, there's a caravan and so on. And yes, they were encouraged to do that. And if they didn't, they were going to die or be killed. But they were soon going to cross a river. They were going to be spread out in this unbelievable place. And there wasn't going to be as many restrictions. They were going to be able to enjoy the fat of the land. There's going to be times of refreshment and break. And this is what he says. Well, you're going to have an opportunity now to do this by yourself. You're going to have the freedom to rest. So as we look at this again, and the scriptures all the way through, the prophets and so on, we saw that obedience always meant blessing. If you listen to God, it means blessing. If you listen to God concerning the Sabbath, you will be blessed. All right, it shares that in Isaiah 56, but quite a few other places. And it also was really clear in the Older Testament that disobedience meant death. It says that in Exodus, which we just read. But it also reminds the children of Israel, the prophets of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, both came back and said, the reason that I am exiling you, the reason that you are going to be transported from Israel is because of your disobedience, but especially your disobedience of the Sabbath. You thought that that was just a suggestion. This was really important, and you guys break it every single week. You really don't care. Well, again, by the time Jesus came, there was a well-oiled religious machine. And the Pharisees, they thought they could help clarify the Sabbath. Now, realistically, you can read through all the Older Testament, and there are a few things that God expects you to do and not do on the Sabbath. Well, the Pharisees, they thought we all needed help, or the Jews needed help. So they came up with 39 different categories of what you literally could do on the Sabbath or not. One would be this. You can only walk a little bit over a half mile. So plan your day really well, because if you're far from home, well, you're going to have to have somebody carry you or whatever, because you can only walk so far. The Pharisees said something like this, you could not spit on the Sabbath. That would really, you know, some baseball players would have a really hard time with this one. I'm just letting you know. But they literally just said you can't spit because if the spit hits the dust and the dust moves, it's just like plowing and working. Here's another thing. If your house is on fire, these are very specific things, all right? You can't work on the Sabbath. So don't gather your clothes or anything because that would be considered work if you gathered clothes and ran out of a burning building. But if you could put the clothes on, you could put a lot of layers, two, three, six, ten, twelve layers, that would be just fine. Put all the clothes on, then you run out of the burning building, and then you're not working. No, we smile, we laugh, we, we look at that and say, are you serious? Well, some Jews took this very seriously. Even these unbelievable expectations. Today, 
not so much here, but in Jewish neighborhoods, there's something called on a Saturday, a Sabbath elevator. A Sabbath elevator literally just stops at every floor. Because to a Jew, it would be work to press a button on the Sabbath. So you could go in an elevator, and I'm assuming, like, if it's the Hancock building, that's a really long day for you. You you know what I mean? But the other thing was this, and this cracked me up a little bit. Um, All good Jews today pre-tear their toilet paper. Because they cannot tear toilet paper. That would be work on the Sabbath. So it's really important, Friday night, you're all there tearing your toilet paper, okay? Now, to us, again, that looks so ridiculous, and I'm not actually trying to make fun of it. Well, actually, I am trying to make fun of it a little bit. But what I'm trying to do is say, you know what, there are people that are really, really serious about listening to God, but they missed it. They missed it. The Sabbath was supposed to be a gift. The Sabbath was not supposed to be a burden. It is an anticipated day, the favorite day of your week, where you cease to work in order to rest, replenish, honor, and worship God. So that brings us to the next question. Is the Sabbath an expectation or requirement for Christians? Now it sounds like it should be. But I believe the scriptures teach us otherwise. Now, when I say that, some are gasping. (gasps) Rick. Others are going, oh man, I'm so glad. (laughs) Because really, that folding the toilet paper thing, that would never work in our household. And I want to obey God. I just don't know if I can obey God that way. All right? Well, let's look at Jesus and then see what the Apostle Paul has to say. First of all, the Gospels tell us that the Pharisees thought Jesus often crossed the Sabbath line. Almost every bit of conflict that Jesus had with the religious were with the Pharisees about the Sabbath. Okay? But Jesus said very clearly in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. And he said this, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. I came to show you how it looks when you obey the law completely and perfectly. I came to model for you how it is to absolutely love God with all my heart, love others, and listen and obey God in every area. Jesus perfectly obeyed the law and showed us how to experience life underneath the law. In other words, Jesus' purpose was to establish the Word, to embody the Word, and show others the beauty of God's laws. Now, he also says this three times in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew 12, Mark 2, and Luke 6, where Jesus says something that seems a little bold. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the master of the Sabbath, not you Pharisees. After all, it was Jesus who wrote the rules and gave the rules and follows the rules. 
Jesus knew the Sabbath was a gift to be given to rest and reflect and restore and celebrate and worship and remember and honor. So Jesus was appalled at what the religious did on the Sabbath. So what was Jesus often accused about over and over and over again? You can't heal on the Sabbath. You can't do that. And all Jesus was really trying to say is that, do you understand what the Sabbath was designed to do? It was to restore. It was to heal. It was, I am just doing on the Sabbath what the intent of the Sabbath was. Now, Paul makes it a little clearer for us, and if you want to turn your screens or your Bible to Colossians chapter 2. All the way through Paul's writings, we're going to find out in the Newer Testament that believers do not live under the Mosaic law. Now, I know some of you are going to email me, uh, and that's okay, we'll chat and so on, and say, well, doesn't the Ten Commandments then apply to us? Well, yes and no. But the Ten Commandments, again, were given to the Hebrews for a certain time. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2. Now let me just paint this picture for you. Paul loved talking about a believer's freedom from the law and their new life in Christ. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Remember that Paul understood the rules better than anyone before he met Jesus. He was an unbelievably good moral man. All right? No doubt about it. But once he met Jesus, once Jesus transformed him, once he understood what God's grace was, once he understood the unbelievable beauty of living under the Spirit's direction versus following all these rules and regulations, Paul was ecstatic. So he talked about this all the time, that you are free from the authority of the law because you have new life in Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 13, Paul writes this, You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And then verse 16. Verse 16. So... And on the screen, I wrote in white, not anything that was inspired. That is me, okay? But it helps us sometimes understand. Because we're alive in Jesus. Because Jesus gave us life. So, or in light of this, talking to a group of Christians... Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink. And not for celebrating certain uh, holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. Now let me give you a big picture. Uh, For so many people who 
followed the, the Jewish laws very religiously, shall we say. They came to faith. But they had just spent all of their lives doing sacrifices. And they had just spent all of their lives observing the Sabbath. And they just... And they're hearing all of this new and different type of doctrine and, and what kind of freedom that they have. All right? And what... what Paul is just trying to say is that the Mosaic laws, including the Sabbath, were shadows of the reality of Jesus. Jesus is our once-for-all sacrifice, and the person in whom we find our Sabbath rest. In Jesus, we find rest and restoration and refreshment and joy, and this is all what the Sabbath should have brought. In Hebrews... Chapter 4, starting at verse 9, all right? Hebrews chapter 4, the author says this. So there is a special rest, or Sabbath, still waiting for the people of God. For all those who have entered into God's rest, they have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter the rest, which sounds a little odd. Work really hard to enter the rest. But what the author was saying under God's Holy Spirit is just saying, do you understand that Jesus will provide for you all that you've been wanting? You can trust Him. You can rest in Him. You can listen to Him. And there are so many who don't understand all that Jesus is or all that Jesus does for us. It is clear to Paul that the Jewish Sabbath isn't binding, or he certainly would have said something right here. All right? Now, what's really interesting, all right, is that in Romans 14, and you can turn there if you would, Romans chapter 14, Paul takes a whole chapter to really talk about those who are weaker. And what happens again, so many folks came to faith as a result of, of growing up again in the Jewish way of life and traditions. But what would happen is, is that the Jews, as you know, could only eat certain kinds of meat. Their, their diet was restricted. And not only that, during this time, um, there was still a lot of idol worship, and the Romans, well, they worshipped a whole lot of folks, and, and they would also sacrifice animals to these foreign and pagan gods. So you just come to faith, and in some ways you're a little confused. Okay, are we supposed to eat this food? Are we not supposed to eat this food? And then some would just say, okay, um, I don't really give a rip. I have new life in Jesus. I can do whatever I want, and I'm going to eat any food and right in front of you, and I'm going to enjoy it. And all Paul was saying is this. There's all people at different stages of their journey. There, there just is. And you know what? If you are just using your freedom in this kind of blatant way and just not even caring about the church or those who are weaker or those that understand that, hey, you know what? It is okay. You'll find out in Romans 14, it is okay to eat any kind of meat. 
Nothing is restrictive anymore. But there's a lot of people that thought there was. And he even mentions, and you know those special days and those festivals and all that? You know what? Those don't apply right now. And we know that. Paul is the one who's saying that. But you know, some people still think it's right. And they're not to a place yet of maturity. And so Paul addresses these folks. And, and again, it's something that Paul was just trying to say. Hey, even though Sabbath, special days, and certain foods, which were absolutely clear under the Mosaic law, should be followed. And you guys have freedom. Be kind. Not everyone is there yet. So love. Love them. Love them. Don't flaunt your freedom in front of them. Again, Paul could not have gone down this road if the Sabbath was still in force. He, he would have to have addressed it here. But I think the key is found in Romans chapter 7, verse 6. And I put it up on the screen again, and I think that this will be just so very helpful. But this is Paul. This is his banner. He says this, But now we have been released from the law. For we died to it, and there is no, and we, <laughs> and are no longer captive to its power. And I would like to put in parentheses there authority. Now we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, the letter of the Mosaic law, where we have to make sure we eat certain ways, we celebrate certain festivals, and we observe the Sabbath. But in the new way of living in the Spirit, Paul says over and over and over again, do you understand the freedom that you have? Do you understand how beautiful it is to just walk with God? There is a joy and there is a freedom. And although there are some who walk under the control of the Spirit, who would you would look at and oh, they're very disciplined, or they're this, or they're that. God gives you freedom to live under His will, under the authority of the Spirit. So, if the Sabbath isn't in force, what's the deal with the Lord's Day? Why do we meet on Sunday? And especially at 10 o'clock, why shouldn't we meet at 9 o'clock in the summers, you know? Or maybe we could just figure out something else, you know, but... What's with the Lord's Day? Well, very quickly, the church began meeting corporately on Sundays. The early church did. To learn and to worship and to fellowship and to pray. And it was a day that was set aside to rest and reflect and restore and worship and remember in honor. It became very soon known Sundays as the Lord's Day. And even last week when we went through Revelation... John writes in Revelation chapter 1, he said, I was worshiping God on the Lord's day when this vision came. So it was a very common word. It was a very common practice. All right. Now certainly this early church would have some aspects of the Sabbath, but it was not the Sabbath. And for the first three centuries after Jesus' resurrection... Well, it's quite documented that Sundays were the place when 
God-fearing believers came and gathered and worshipped. Now, later on in the 1500s, John Calvin, who was pretty influential, what I would say, at least um, in the evangelical or Protestant church, his Reformed theology and practices often came uh, to be foundational for our churches even today. And he was really pretty clear. He taught that at least two things should be done on the Lord's Day. And then he even started using the Sabbath again. All right. Confusing everybody. But he said, you need to rest like God. You need to stop working one day a week. That was his kind of interpretation. And you need to gather publicly for teaching and worship. Well, as that continued, there's a group called the Puritans. And quite a few others, and we sometimes look down on them, and I don't I think they get a bad rap sometimes, to be quite honest. But the Puritans were a little bit like the Pharisees, and they wanted to clarify what you actually could do on the Lord's Day. And so these rules started to grow again and again. And so some of us grew up, even recently, observing the Lord's Day out of obligations and making sure that we obey a bunch of the do's and the don'ts. Now, although believers are not under the obligation to obey the Mosaic law today, listen to this, working six days and ceasing to work one day each week may give us the margin we need for the journey. I am asking you to consider 24-6 as a spiritual discipline where one day is a gift to rest, reflect, restore, celebrate, worship, remember, and honor God. That you choose to live 24-6 in order for you to be replenished. And to be quite honest, one of the big motivators to me was Jesus. Jesus grew, or shall I say, lived his whole life living 24-6. And, and sometimes you go, well, well, Jesus was pretty busy. Jesus was pretty popular during those three years. He couldn't go anywhere. He, couldn't, he could hardly find a place to eat. But you know what was really cool? He always observed the Sabbath. And in the right way. Now, I just want you to know, I personally am growing here. I am not arrived. I have not arrived. In fact, my daughter was over, uh, along with some other family, this, this last week, and, and we were kind of hanging out, and, and the subject came up, Dad, what, what are you talking on this week? And I said, the Sabbath. And she looked at me rather cockily, with arrogance, and pretty persnickety and said, oh, you're speaking on the Sabbath? Well, let me tell you, she's not been around my house for a long time, and and I have not arrived yet, and, and I'm letting you know. But you know what really went deep is that I do think when Kara was young, 
And when she was in my house, her dad probably didn't do really well in the Sabbath. Oh, man, ministry was important. Oh, it was awesome. And, and, and I'm not talking occasionally going to camp. I'm talking about 24-7 all the time. I don't even know if she knows the difference in my life now as it was when she actually grew up. But let me remind you of this. All spiritual disciplines, and some of us are scared of that word, but they are practiced in order to help us grow in our relationship with God. They are small things done over time that make a difference. In other words, we do these things in order to help us understand and know and walk with God differently. We hear, read, study, memorize, and meditate on the Word. We pray and we talk to God. There's times of silence and solitude in order to listen to God. There's fasting from food at times or media or whatever we need to help realign our priorities. There's opportunities for generosity where we learn to trust God. And what I'm suggesting is, why not a spiritual discipline called 24-6 in order to restore, renew, replenish, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually? A day you literally look forward to. A day that you can't wait. Oh, three days to 24-6. Three days to Sabbath. Three days to my rest. Three days, whatever you'd like to call it. Some of you say, well, what would that day look like? Well, first of all, I do think you got to rest. I do. Well, Rick, um, I do Sabbath one morning, and then I do another Sabbath on an evening, and then I do another Sabbath, and that's kind of like the way I roll sometimes. But Rest means cease from work. The activity you do for money or pleasure six days a week. To me, it might look like you unplug. And and I don't even know if any of you could be willing to do that for 24 hours. That there's no schedule. In other words, you go for walks, not hikes. Walks mean you don't have any agenda. There's no time you have to end. Hikes are, well, here's the trail. I better stick on it. And it should take me 2.7 hours. All right? I think the second thing we need to do during the Sabbath is restore our soul spiritually. It's exactly what, what God wants us to do is remember our God and His faithfulness. We're in such a hurry. We don't have an opportunity to sit down and say, how has God blessed me this week? How am I blessed all over. What spiritual blessings have you given me? God, what what opportunity? And just reflect and bask. And I do think this is where the spiritual disciplines come in, the reading, the journaling, the praising, the listening, the growing, the dependence on God. And lastly, I think you need to replenish. Do what refreshes you, energizes you, brings life to you. I love this. Dr. Sleeth, the man who wrote 24-6, he goes, you know what I have for breakfast every Sabbath? Now, he wasn't talking to me. He was in his book, all right? He goes, this is my Sabbath breakfast. A bowl of Cheerios, Honey Nut Cheerios, 
with some fresh fruit on it topped with ice cream. I said, yeah, man. I, no wonder you look to the Sabbath, you know. Ice cream for breakfast, that like breaks every rule, doesn't it? I mean, I might like have ice cream for lunch too and other things. But those are the things you look at it and what energy, what refreshes you, what, what brings life to you, do it. Now I do want to say this, is that there are some challenges to the Sabbath spiritual discipline. It actually takes work for you to enjoy the Sabbath. I am not saying cut your toilet paper. But what I am saying, if you choose not to work on one day, whatever day that is, you work a little extra hard before that and maybe a little extra hard after so you can really rest. And that's hard. I I think, again, that not everybody in your family or your friends or your roommates or whatever well, will follow your lead. Sometimes that's a little hard. Because especially if you're married to someone who says, no, I don't see a need for that. Okay. But those are things you can, again, work out. What are the benefits of 24-6? Now, let me just say this too, is interruptions happen, but remember or be ready to accept failure. There's times you're not going to work. It's not going to work. The best plans. And lastly, it's okay to be creative. You know what? Um, in our culture, in our culture, I'm not sure what you could call this. I don't. But I do know this, is that I wrestle with this completely. I justify sometimes, oh, I'm a pastor. I'm going to really need to have my phone on because, oh boy, what happened if there's that emergency? Yeah, I I don't know. Probably not going to be, and it's probably okay if I unplug. And I just want to encourage each one of you that our God is so big, and our God is so amazing, and He is so worthy to spend time with, and to get to know, and to be replenished, and to be reminded that you're a son or you're a daughter, because our world is hard. We need to be reminded over and over and over again who you are in Jesus and where your strength comes from and that he's in control and you don't have to worry and that God has got this. And you know, some of us run through life so fast we never, ever hear that. That's what happens on your one day. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that the Scripture is filled with life-giving words. And we realize that, that since Jesus came, that we have a new standing, and the Holy Spirit lives in every believer. And we have opportunities that are so unbelievably rich. And yet sometimes we we do think that we're in charge of our schedules. We believe that we know what's best for us. And that we can push limits. And we don't always need to rest or recuperate. But God, it's really interesting that 
if we're not used to picking weeds all Saturday and we pick weeds all Saturday man do we need some rest on Sunday I pray dear God that we would learn from you and that we need to have a place in our life where we are restored and we are reminded would you teach us what that looks like for each one of us in Jesus name